This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The bounce all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Munson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman German can obnoxious, what you'll face Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast, where a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, joined as always by my co-host, Boss Dog. And Boss, this is the big one, brother. National Championship Week is upon us. And because of that, we couldn't just do our normal preview episode with one guest. We had to supersize it. So, folks, this is a monster, monster episode. Just an embarrassment of riches. For your favorite co-hosts, we have one of our all-time favorites, uh, Aaron Davis, on to talk about the show. We also have Chris Felica from ESPN's College Day and Day on to talk about the national championship on Monday night. And then we have the boys from the Players' Lounge, or at least two of them. We have DGD's Ty Fricks and Aaron Murray on to talk about what they are doing in the NFT space to function within NIL and help current Georgia Bulldog players so exciting episode. We are really fired up about it. The game is now, I guess we're releasing on Friday. So what are we, three sleeps away, brother? Yep. It's crazy. So how you feeling? Three days out, how you feeling? Surprisingly calm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the same, man. I, I feel I have way less anxiety about this than I did when we chatted about the Orange Bowl, <laughs> which is weird. I guess because there was, I, I do think there was more pressure to get here. I know there's a ton of pressure because of all the things, you know, whether it be having not beat Alabama since 07, being 0 7 in the last seven times we played them, not winning a national championship since 1980, like all those things. But the expectation, I think, as we got into the season was that we would end up here. So to not finish that mission and get to Indy would have been, I feel like, just real disappointment <laughs> so i felt a lot of like anxiety and pressure about the orange bowl and now i almost feel like it's like house money man let's just go let it rip have a good time and take care of business man i mean i think how great is it that they get a mulligan on this because the ultimate letdown in atlanta you go into this ball game and i think you and i both felt the same way like didn't, never even entered my mind that they would lose that football game and then to go in and not just lose but get the break speed off of you. I just think it's incredible. They got this opportunity to, to avenge that and go out and show America who they are. So I feel great about it. I do too. And Mulligan is the best term you can use for that game. And the farther away we've gotten from that game, the game plan was very vanilla, I guess. Really, the only thing that was shown that we hadn't seen all season was the little pop pass to Darnell. Everything else and the entire defensive game plan was changed. Everything else was just kind of just ho-hum. We're going to come in, line up, and just kind of, this is how we're going to play. We're not going to show you anything. And the farther away I've gotten 
away from the SA Championship game, the less I've cared about it, which is really not like me. Normally, I'll dwell on a loss, you know, three weeks a- after we've won three games in a row. I'm over it. I'm ready to ready for Monday, ready to see what happens. And I'm going to be one of the few people who win or lose. This season has been extremely fun. And yeah. one of the more memorable seasons that I can remember as a dog fan. Yeah, I agree with that. I think too, and I don't know if it was Seth Emerson or shoot, maybe it was even Kirby that said it. Even if they don't win Monday night, it's not like this program is going anywhere. And I think that's what kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes is that it's all about right now, right now, right now, and the instant gratification of this year and this moment. And I get that, man. Nobody on the planet wants them to win more Monday night than you and me. I mean, nobody. So I will certainly be disappointed and I'll be sad, but homie, I would not trade being a dogs fan right now for, for anything, for being a fan of anybody else. You know, I mean, I just love where this program's at. I love the trajectory that it's on. And I think as we've said multiple times throughout the year, you know, the good old days for dogs football right now, you're living in them folks, like breathe it all in. This is the fact that this is just the standard and the expectation right now is a whole different world and we should embrace that and live in that. So I'm fired up, man. I fly out tomorrow. I'm worried about the snow and the ice and having a full flight crew, but hopefully we're going to make it work. If these people can't get me there on an airplane, I'm going to drive my happy ass to Indianapolis from the low country. <laughs> so I'm going to be in Naptown one way or the other on Monday night at eight o'clock. <laughs> um, all right. Before we get into all of our fantastic guests this week, I do want to talk to you about the game. I mean, what do you, I assume based on your answer that you're feeling good about the dogs minus two and a half minus three. Yeah, I think it's a two score game. I really do. I don't think that Bama without Mechie is as explosive because Williams is going to be doubled most of the game. I think really the the factor is going to be Billingsley and he makes me nervous because he's a mismatch, but our athleticism and the linebacking core really, I think will make up for that, but I don't think they have. And I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago before the orange bowl. They don't have another dude yet. Not saying that hall, I think his name is AG hall, the freshman wide receiver, not saying he won't be that. And hopefully he won't be that Monday, but I don't think he's there yet to be another dude like Mechie to make up for that production. So I'm really confident in this. And I think our defense is going to come out fast and ferocious and not necessarily blitz happy, but I think we're going to put a lot of pressure on young because the only way to, to beat him is to get him rattled and get him rattled early. It's kind of how you got to play, play Tua. And when we played that him in the SEC championship in 18, and I think that's how you got to play young. And I think that's what we're going to do. That's a great point about the 18 game, because I thought in that game and people kind of forget this, but the way that 18 Alabama team was being talked about before kick that night in Atlanta was that they were the greatest college football team of all time, unstoppable, and that nobody was going to do anything to deter them from their path. And Georgia's defense came out that night and just laid the hammer on them. And I've, I still hold fast to this, absent DeAndre Walker getting hurt and not being able to play the end of that game. Even after the switch to Jalen, I think they win that football game, right? But if Tua hadn't gotten hurt and kept playing, 
I don't think they win that game. I mean, he was frazzled all night. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that is the game plan to come out and impose on Monday. And in all honesty, homie, if they just come out and play fast and free, like they did in every game, but the one in Atlanta, I feel great about it. I mean, dude, that was pretty much, I think, during our preview episode for the Orange Bowl and you and I talking offline, that's what we were most nervous about going into the Orange Bowl was, are they going to come out and be who we watched them be for games one through 12? Or are they going to be the team that we saw in Atlanta? I think that was our only hesitation about who was going to win the football game. Because I don't think Michigan intimidated us or we were nervous about Michigan. It was just, what are we going to come out and be? So if they come out and just be who they are Monday night, I feel great about it. I'm going to have so much adult beverages in Indianapolis on Monday night. If they do what I think they're going to do, that I'm going to be able to float, homie. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I feel great about it. I'm with you. I I think I I like them to cover. I like them to win straight up, obviously. But I like them to cover, and, and I think it'll I think they win by at least a touchdown. So, yeah, I'm feeling good about it. Um, all right. Well, let's get you right in. We're going we're gonna to lead off with, with Aaron Davis. And Aaron brings some great insight from his experience during the run in 17 and kind of what the prep looks like this week for the national title game and what that atmosphere is like. Um, and then after Aaron, we'll, we'll get into it with the, the boys from the Players Lounge and learn about NFTs and the DGD Mafia and get Ty and Aaron's picks for the game. And then Bear will kind of close us out and, and give us his thoughts on the game. He was he came on and previewed with us before the SEC title game, so it was really interesting to kind of hear his thoughts on that game and then also how he feels about things coming up this weekend. So without further ado, uh, here is DGD Aaron Davis uh, with his analysis on Monday night's national championship game. We are beyond excited to have one of our favorites, DGD Aaron Davis, back with us tonight. Aaron, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on to hang with us. It's great. It's great to see you as well. Uh, I feel like I've been on quite a few times, but it's, it's, it's great every time. So thank you for having me again. So before we start with, with all things dogs and football related, we're on the countdown now, aren't we, brother? What are we, four, four months out now from, yeah, from the big day? Months. So uh, time is ticking down. Um, the the day is getting a lot closer. Uh, the days are seeming a lot shorter as well. But um, all exciting things to come forward. So uh, really looking forward to it. Oh, that's awesome, man! Well, what a great thing to look forward to, and what a way to to start what I know is going to be a magical year for y'all with the dogs going back to the to the title game for the first time since you got to play in it. So it's been an exciting start to the new year. I, I want to start with you. Just, I would love to get your read on the SEC title game. Number mm-hmm. one, from an expectation perspective, were you surprised with the outcome? And I guess what were your takeaways after watching that game? Yeah, I mean, I for sure was surprised. All biases aside, I feel like I'm able to properly judge Georgia football and where we stand just versus other teams and, and how we look, you know, versus competition in general. And, you know, I felt we had been the best team all year and we got to the SC title game. And I felt like we, sh- I was like, you know, I just watched Bama versus Auburn. I see how their offensive line played. I see how their defense played. And I'm like, we're, we're 13 points better than them. 
So I thought we would win by at least two touchdowns or 13 points, however the game goes. And I was pleasantly surprised that, well, not pleasant. It wasn't pleasant at all watching it. But I was just shocked because, you know, I feel like we got away from, you know, what we had been doing all year. And that's that's not what you want to see. That's probably a sign of, you know, guys maybe just too anxious to make a play or, you know, it, it just felt like we were very uncharacteristic as to how we were been playing all year. And so that's not what you want. You want guys to be lasered in, laser focused, and just stick to their technique, coaching, and their talent, which we all have. Um, and so I think if they're able to do that, then there's no reason why, you know, UGA shouldn't come away with a national title. But I would say the SC championship was definitely uh, surprising the way it kind of unfolded. I'm really interested in your perspective on this because my brother and I were at the game. And and one of the things that we talked about was I think what made this defense so unique this year from the spectators perspective is they always looked a step ahead of Mm -hmm. their opponent. It, It was opponent independent. It was just every week they were flying to the football fast and furious and just seemed to almost know what was coming before it happened. Mm-hmm. And I thought based off a lot of the, the verbiage that came out from the players and from the coaching staff, that one of the reasons for that was they simplified the scheme from the perspective mm-hmm. of, Hey, look, we're not going to have, you know, 11 different checks at the line and guys mm-hmm. having to read off X, Y, and Z and thus allowing guys to really lean on their talent and play fast and free. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it, it seemed like that's what had happened all year. And, and almost immediately in that first quarter, even though Bama didn't score, we kind of were looking at each other going, they're not scoring because they're missing, not yeah. because we're making plays. And you could see kind of the holes and the cracks. And I just thought they looked a step slow, if that makes sense. Did you see anything that made you think that they did anything different schematically? Or do you just think – they got beat by a singular performance by Heisman Trophy winner Bryce Young and an elite group of wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that Bama's an elite football team. I mean, they've, they've been the best, well, top two team all year long. And, um, you know, Bryce Young, he had an amazing performance, and that's what you expect out of a Heisman Trophy winner in the biggest stage of the year. That's, that's what they do. They show up and they perform. But I thought, you know, even with – him having a great performance that, you know, we should step up and, you know, kind of overshadow his. And so for me, I I think I did see, I mean, I saw a little bit of changes in the lineup uh, a little bit. Um, And I think maybe just guys were just probably just overthinking it and not just going out there being themselves. I think Bama also, they, they came up with a good game plan to try to do their best to counter us. I mean, I saw, I mean, there's like a clip of going around on Twitter of like Jordan Davis and he's like, he's tired. It's like, okay. Yeah. We understand that he's, he's a behemoth of a guy and, you know, you absolutely want him on the field, but if they can get into a hurry up and tire him out and get continuous first downs and we're not able to sub him out, then he's going to tire out. And that's, that goes for anybody, but you know, especially for the big guys. And that's why we like to rotate them in. But, you know, that's the thing, though. You understand that if you get them into third and longs and you get those stops on third and downs, then you're all good because you get your guys, the right guys you want on the field 
and the guys that, you know, have already done their job, you get them off the field and, and, and supplement for some, for some more, you know, opportune packages for us. And so, you know, I, I think it was more overthinking um, and, and that could that can extend beyond just players. I mean, coaches, they have, you know, they spend so much time dedicating themselves to trying to get it perfect, get it right, as they should. And that's I know that's what the Georgia coaches are doing because they want to win. They're the most competitive coaches in the country, just like all the other top programs. And so, you know, you can get in a situation where you overthink yourself or you want to change something up, do something different because you're playing a different opponent from everyone else. I mean, it's Bama's different from any other team and you have to understand that but you also have to understand your identity and understand that this is our identity this is how we built ourselves to be you know the number one team in the country for all these these weeks let's know our identity but also be able to be you know a chameleon if we need to make those sideline adjustments so that we can uh you know steam up some things and and get the job done One of the things I was keenly interested in, in the lead up to the Orange Bowl, and I know all the talk had been about the offense and about the quarterback position and Stetson Bennett and JT Daniels, but what I was wanting to see was how the defense would respond Mm. because that was the unit that had been heralded all year. That was the unit that had looked as close to invincible as you could look. Mm. And they came out and got their lunch handed to them. And I was very interested to see how they would respond. And I thought it said a lot about those kids and a lot about that coaching staff that they were able to watch that, learn from it, and come out and show everybody on national TV New Year's Eve, hey, look, y'all, this is who we are, okay? Mm -hmm. And we're here, and everybody better be ready. I just thought they looked explosive. I thought N'Kobe Dean made himself even more money on Mm -hmm. Friday night. I thought Trayvon Walker had an outstanding game uh, Friday night. Um, I just thought they played furious, and it was it was beautiful to watch. I mean, w- what is that like having? Because almost when you lose a game like, like that, right? Mm-hmm. The worst thing that can happen is a lull like yeah. that. Because as a player, you just want to get back out and go. Right. And so, how tough do you think that was for them to kind of sit on that for four weeks? Or do you think it was almost beneficial for them to kind of let that churn and then come out things blasting for, for Friday night's game? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it, that's more probably an individual person to person of, you know, whether they feel like, you know, losing a game helps reset or whatever. But I think that's a testament to the staff and their ability to c- continue to get you ready week in and week out. I mean, we always had a 48-hour rule. So you would have 48 hours to either soak or celebrate. We're at Georgia, so we were doing a lot more celebrating than soaking. But on the ones that you lose, you know, you take those 48 hours, you review the film in the same manner that you review the the wins. I mean, you know, for me, thinking back to my time, I mean, some of the times on the wins, we were getting criticized or just coached up just as harshly if not even more than we were on, you know, the one or two games that we slipped up because the expectation is just so, so high. And that's how it has to be in order to be the last person standing with that trophy up. I mean, that's just how it's got to be. So in a similar manner to where when we lost to Auburn, we got our butts handed to us at Jordan-Hare Stadium. And, and then 
you know, to come back and play them in the SEC championship, we were just as confident as we were going into that game when we, when we uh, first lost. So it's like, you know, you treat each week like a new week. And, of course, you're going to look at the past few weeks to see the film and, and correct your mistakes. But that's the whole point of practice. You get in, you correct those mistakes, and then you go out and display, you know, who you are, the new and improved uh, team that you are week in and week out. And that's what you want to do. You want to build on it. And you just let the scoreboard tell its own story. I mean, as long as you play the way you're supposed to play, you don't have mental mistakes, you don't turn the ball over, nine times out of ten, 9.9 times out of 10, that's going to be the team who wins, and that's what it's going to come down to. I thought Kirby and the coaching staff did a really nice job immediately reframing and resetting by telling those kids in the postgame locker room, hey, look, this season is now going to be about how we respond to this, and regardless, I love you guys. I yeah. mean, I thought he was very explicit about saying that. And I think that speaks to kind of what's been unique about this team. They've seemed very bonded. And we talked about that with you the last time mm-hmm. that you were on. But I think that's been a continuing theme throughout the year. And I think that showed again in Friday night's game and will continue in this week lead up. I'm interested to hear from you. And know, I talked to you a little bit about it off air. But I think you have a really unique perspective for our listeners on what this week looks like. As a fan, I'm sure people are interested in, okay, you have this big win in the semifinal. Mm-hmm. Now, what does this week look like, recalibrating, preparation? I know travel-wise, it was a little different for y'all. The Rose Bowl was on a Monday, and then the title game was on a Monday. Mm-hmm. Did y'all stay in L.A. that night after the game, or did y'all take a red-eye back? No. I mean, after that game – I mean, the message was, you know, hey, let's celebrate. But we were collecting stuff as fast as we could because we're going to hop on a uh, plane that night and fly and fly all the way back. So we got back as as quick as we could. One, to, you know, try to rest up at home where everyone's comfortable and also to start getting ready for the next week. So um, that kind of stuff is important. Every every hour is is important in you know, the other team, quote unquote, me, you know, who, who knows if it's actually true, but you do get a whatever, a three hour, four hour advantage of uh, being able to finish first and get your guys rested. Um, so we wanted to cut down our time as much as we could. So we, we, we hopped on a flight as quickly as we could. And then that was a normal game week days wise because y'all had a seven day split, which is normal when you're working a Saturday to Saturday schedule, except this time it was Monday to Monday. I do think it's a little more beneficial this time because they came back Saturday morning and then they have all the way until the following Monday. Mm-hmm. So it gives a little more time to get the body right and for mm-hmm. them to kind of watch film and, and install game plan and stuff. So when y'all came back, did you just do normal install like y'all would have done in a week all year or was there any stagger to that? How did that week look for y'all as y'all got prepped and ready? No, we, we kept it the same. We kept it the same uh, week to week. Um, so we just got back our uh, whatever day that the next day you always treat it as like a recovery day. So that's when you come in, you know, get your treatment, get a little recovery workout in and then watch some extra film, get, get some, some, some eyes on some stuff. Maybe you grab a couple guys together uh, and watch some film. And then that next day after that, that's going to be like your first quote unquote uh, practice day, which are very light. Um, day as you're recovering but it's still fast and moving because you got to get the blood flowing 
Um, but but beyond that, it is it is different though. It's 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 very different in the matter of both both weeks are still bowl weeks. And what a lot of people don't understand is that when you're at a bowl week, it's almost like a you almost feel like almost like a mini vacation. So there's like a struggle between trying to stay focused and preparing like you've done all, you know, all year long in Athens, but then also realizing, okay, if we're at the, this bowl, I mean, the orange, Bowl, we're in Miami, if we're in, you know, the, the cotton bowl, we're in Dallas, we're in, in a place at Fiesta. So it's like, not only are you having to try to stay focused there are events that you have to go through that are mandated by the bowls. You know, there might be one or two team events that they have, the team has for you personally. Um, then, you know, you got your family that's flying in, you get extra bowl tickets. So there's a lot more distractions. And so you're trying to balance the two of, okay, let me enjoy the moment and have fun. But at the same time, understand that this is, this is the game. The game is the most important thing because you know, it's what we used to call a quote unquote business trip. We understand that we come here and we're on a mission and, you know, the ultimate goal is to come out with a, with a victory. And so there is a, there's a struggle between the two and, and, and sometimes teams can get caught up in that in, in, in some of the events and stuff that happen and, and the interactions with different fans and your family, and you might lose track or, or, or focus on, on what the actual goal is, but the teams that are disciplined and have the leaders and captains who are going to step up and say, Hey, you know, we're not here to be all suit and tie. You know, you can't go anywhere. You're locked in your room from, you know, from eight, eight for as soon as you leave meetings, but, you know, be responsible, understand that, you know, we still got to get our sleep, all that kind of stuff. All those conversations go on and the teams that are able to handle that uh, typically perform well when it comes to game day. Y'all had a unique situation, not just from the fact that you had to travel cross country, but then for the title game, in essence, it was in y'all's backyard. So, which is nice because logistically you guys didn't have to deal with a plane flight to Atlanta. I'm sure you guys just bust from Athens. Did y'all go in the night before and stay the night previous in Atlanta or did y'all go straight from Athens game day to Atlanta? No, we... I feel like we didn't go. We stayed like an extra day or two in Athens. And then we went to Atlanta probably around like middle of the week to, to the later part of the week. So we might have got there like Wednesday, like Wednesday or Thursday. Because like I said, they have mandatory events. that the Oh, like e- e- even for the title game? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Events, events that, that you have to go to and show up. Um, and some of that is like media stuff. So like mm-hmm. some guys are required to do stuff with the media. I remember for sure the Rose Bowl, they had the, the thing with eating the prime rib at the famous restaurant. Right. Lowry's. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lowry's. Yeah. So like, you know, they have stuff like that that you have to go to. So I think that's when we, once the mandatory stuff hit, we were there then, but I think we, I'm pretty sure we stayed like a couple of days, one or two extra in Athens before we, we settled in, in Atlanta. From a matchup perspective, I know it's only been 30 days, but in a lot of ways it is similar to y'all playing at Auburn in 2017 and then turning right back around and playing them in the SEC title game. I think there are a lot of parallels there. Um, one of the big storylines for me is that John Mechie's not going to play in this game. Yeah. And I thought their offense, even in the SEC title game, looked vastly different in the second half mm-hmm. compared 
to how they were in the second quarter. And could you just give our listeners a little insight into what that does from a scheme perspective when instead of having Jamison Williams on one side and John Mechie on the other side and having to figure out, hey, are we going to roll a safety one way or the other, having now to just focus on one big weapon and maybe allowing some more flexibility with going man or doing some kind of zone schemes on the rest of their stable of receivers. Yeah, I mean, it, you you completely change your game plan both defensively and you know Alabama's going to have to do it offensively. And I think you saw that a little bit in the game they had versus Cincinnati where they, they ran, I felt like they ran the ball a lot more, which they had a mm-hmm. lot of success doing that, so why stop it? But it's, it's a different game plan defensively. I mean, without getting too geeky, but like the point of, you know, a lot of the defenses is if you can stop the other team with your front four, I mean, that's, that's just a defensive coordinator's dream because then you could do whatever you want on the back end. And so, you know, most teams, if they, if they feel like they can stop you up front with their four and, you know, a linebacker, so then they're going to protect the pass. Um, so they'll have two safeties higher or something like that. But, you know, if, if not, then you got to drop one of those safeties down to protect in the run. And then once you do that, that leaves your one-on-one matchups for your, you know, your John, your Mechie and your uh, Williams. So those, that's what those guys feast on. They, they love when they see single coverage. And even then, you know, some of these guys are so good. We had them doubled. <laughs> he still scored uh, in the SEC championship. So really talented guys, but it completely changes the game plan from a defensive perspective as far as what you're willing to do to stop the run, to defend the pass, to bring pressure, to not bring pressure. So uh, I think what Georgia will actually do will look very different from what what was on the call sheet uh, the first game. And, and Alabama's fully aware of that, and they're trying to do their best to navigate. So I would expect them to do things to uh, – Williams, some 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 favorable matchups, um, do a lot of motion, some some uh, shifts and things like that to try to trick, confuse the defense or to try to dictate what you'll play so they can understand that themselves. What do you think will look different from the first weekend of December to the title game from a game plan perspective? Because I thought one of the things Alabama did very well, I thought Bill O'Brien had a fantastic scheme. I think they were very cognizant that they were not going to be able to run the football against Georgia. Mm. And so in lieu of that, they decided, hey, look, we're going to negate their ferocious pass rush by using our bubble game and our short passing game as as a run game, essentially. Get us on the move and allow us to get into our hurry up stuff and keep them from subbing and rotating like they like to do. So we can take some shot plays and get a bust here or there. And I thought they executed it beautifully. But the beauty of having that matchup four weeks ago is it's all on tape. Yeah. So I I don't expect them to come out and try to do the same thing, but they're also not going to be able to do what they did against Cincinnati and line Brian Robinson up and hope he rushes for 200 yards. It's just not going to happen on this defense. So, so how do you think things will look different? How do you see them trying to combat that to get some shot plays and bust some big plays and get some guys open? Because I think it, it's key for them. They had some big ones in that game. I think that's what happened in that second quarter. They've got to pop some, some plus plays 
to mm. Jameson Williams in order for them to win. Mm. So how do you see them trying to do that in a different way? And also at the same time, limiting Georgia's pass rush and limiting those guys' motors from getting going. Yeah. So, I mean, when, when, when you, when you don't have as many threats on the outside, you know, a defense can just say, Hey, look, we know this guy is legit. We know this guy's a playmaker. He's a deep threat. He's a threat to catch it short and take it all the way. You know, we're going to do our best as many times as possible to try to double him. And so that's what you, you double them. And then you say, Hey, my other guys, you know, match up. They used to say like earn your scholarship, <laughs> but I was a walk-on. <laughs> funny hearing that, whatever. So I was literally, scholarship. but you'll see that happen. So what the offense would try to do to combat that, what they do is they do a lot of shifts in motions. And so if you watch Green Bay, so Green Bay, they do a really good job with uh, their receiver, Devontae Adams, who's all-world elite player. Um, I watched the game last year where he was matched up against Jalen Ramsey. And so, obviously, when you're one-on-one, both those guys are the, the top of the top of their game. And so, you end up getting, like, 50-50s, but, like, no one wants to play 50-50 because, you know, catching an interception here, a tip ball that – turns into an interception, like it's a it's a big gamble. So you take your shots. But what you do is to get them out of a rhythm, you involve other people in motion. And so that way you can get your your guy the ball and get him matched up against a linebacker or a safety or something like that. Uh, so I would expect Bama to do a lot of that. And I'll expect them to do a lot of play action, some misdirection to try to scheme some guys open. I mean, we we play fast. We play super fast, but that's the thing. If you're playing fast and you're running in the wrong direction, you're going farther in the wrong direction. And so uh, I would expect them to do some things like that, maybe tossing some screens to try to neutralize our pass rush. But um, I think for Bama, what they're going to try to do is a lot of motion, a lot of misdirection, play action, and then just just doing those kind of things to try to get their one true, you know, all-world playmaker the ball. And then for the other guys, you know, you know, they may win on a couple of routes here and there, but they're going to want to try to scheme those guys up. And so um, that's probably going to be their game plan. And then, you know, they'll do their best to try to win on special teams, win on um, the, the third phase of the ball so they can give themselves a short field or, you know, return a kick or block a punt or something like that. Um, so they're going to you know, lean hard into doing those kind of things. Given the success that Bryce Young had on off-schedule plays in the SEC title game, do you think there's any merit to having a dedicated spy or somebody who is purely focused on keeping him from breaking contain and getting off schedule and, and popping something big where, where guys are on the back end having to cover for too long? Or do you think they'll just roll the dice and say, hey, look, we feel good about what we can do on the front seven and um, we're going to roll with our normal scheme and not, not change things up that way? I think you got to mix it up. And, and, and even with that, you could still get beat. I mean, you know, there were quite a few times when we had a spy on Bryce young in the SC championship and he just beats them. I mean, it's just, he's either runs around him, He's pump faking, running around him, or, you know, the guy comes up on him, he dumps it off to somebody else or makes a great throw on the run. So, I mean, that's just a special talent of a player. 
Um, and but I think you have to mix it up. You have to give him different looks. You got to give him a blitz with a pop out, so he thinks he has pressure and he throws into somebody else. You got to give him a four man front and just tell him neutral pass rush gets the to the quarterback, but don't run past them. You got to give him a spy. You got to come up with exotic blitzes. I think you got to mix it up because I mean the guy is just too good to give him the same look and think that you're going to get the same result every time. It's just not going to happen. So you got to throw multiple, multiple looks at them. And that's going to require them to be focused the whole week as far as understanding that, okay, we got these different blitzes, these blitz packages. You know, you got to study it and know what your responsibility is in the game because, you know, one mistake and this guy's out the gate or one mistake and he's making you pay and, and you just can't give up those touchdowns those third and long plays that would get you off the field and get you a short pos- uh, possession on offense. Instead, those turn into extra drives, more time click, uh, ticking off the clock. So I think that's – you just got to get multiple looks. You've played a national title game, and you've played a lot of football. Mm. I know it is the player's instinct to say they're all games, right? We're, we treat them all the same. Why? But – the title game has got to feel different, right? Your adrenaline has to be at a different decibel than it normally is, I would imagine. How long does that last in a game like that? Is that something that's one drive, first hit, it's gone, and you're locked in? Or, or is there some longevity to it during the game? I mean, just, just tell us what, what that feels like and what that looks like compared to, you know, a game on October 20th. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's more about the opponent than anything um i mean like i said you have all these different events and stuff that they do before the game so that is for sure different and you feel that as a player like you know there's extra cameras extra lights you know more media people more interviews more tv longer tv time all this kind of stuff that you feel but 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 the bulk of it is pre-game like once the ball at least for sure for me once the ball kicks off it's football like, it's football. You don't think about it. You don't go and sit in at halftime thinking this is the national title. I mean, for some guys, you know, they may have an extra umph if this is like they understand that, okay, this is my last game that I'm ever going to play. But that probably doesn't even affect how they play on the, the, the field because, you know, if you're training coach the right way, you play the same manner regardless who you play against. Now, like I said, it, it's going to depend from the opponent because – Obviously, when Georgia plays a far inferior team, you're just probably able to just physically dominate some guys or something like that a lot easier than what you would do if you're going against Alabama. But at the same time, you're just you're playing as hard. Just the result is different. This guy is just as good as you. So he's going to win, you know, just as many battles as you win. Uh, unless you just get the better of him on that day. So I would say most of that wears off pre-game and then for me for sure as soon as the ball kicked off it's I mean it's football I'm just I'm I'm ready to play if you could give one piece of advice to this year's team based off your experience in the title run in uh the 17 season what would it be what's something you wish you knew in the week leading up to the to the national championship game uh, I mean it's it's really nothing n- nothing new I would say just be the person that you've been all year. It's not just another game, but you have to put yourself in the mindset as if it is. Um, The stakes are at the highest and the best players play the best 
on the biggest moments. And that's something that I've lived by my whole life. And that's how you have to be. You have to understand that you have to step up and, and, and be that person. But I mean, to, to quote coach Rick, which he had a phenomenal, phenomenal quote. And I'm sure he's probably said this in the media and I may mess it up a little bit, but basically he said that the big moments and the big plays, those happen from just doing your job. Like the only thing that changes is is the environment around you. So so if you just do the same thing that you've done the entire time, you're you know during practice, all that kind of stuff, you get that credit just because the clock ticks, you know zero. So it's like it's fourth down, and you come up with a huge stop with 20 seconds left, and that clinches the game. That's the same thing you would do if you were playing in practice and you know, all these different scenarios. So the only thing that changes is the moment. So you stick to your technique, you stick to all the stuff you know, and that's just the result that happens. Okay, the dogs are, depending on what book you look at, two and a half to three point favorites mm-hmm. for the game on Monday night. In your gut, how do you feel about this game? What do you think the outcome will be? What's your expectation for how things are going to go down in Indianapolis on Monday evening? So I'm torn because, like I said, I'm, I can remove my bias and, and, and grade it. And so, like, you look at history and you see the last however many matches we had against Bama and we haven't been able to win it. So it's like, okay, you know, history would tell us that Bama is going to win because they won the previous matchups. But then I also look at the matchups of the teams versus each other, and I say, okay, I think UGA has a better football team, which I think they also had a better football team than the SC Championship, and we see how that turned out. So, I mean, my gut feeling is going to tell me that we are two touchdowns better than them, and we should win by two touchdowns. If that plays out, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I'll be glued to the TV watching, but – We'll see what happens with that. But that that is my gut feeling that, you know, we're a better team. But there is something about playing Alabama and their preparation and being able to step up and get it done on the biggest of stages. And you've seen that. And that's why they're the best dynasty in, in, ever, in ever of college football. And so I don't know what, what you said. The spread was like, you know, two and a half. I think it's a coin toss. I think it's 50-50 even. Yeah, I think a lot of people were surprised that Georgia came out as the favorite, but I I just think it's a it's a matter of Vegas likes them, and a lot yeah. of sharp a lot of sharp money has come out on Georgia. There have been some big bets on Georgia with that number, and I, to your point, I think that's indicative of the season. I think yeah. they were the better team twelve four. I think they're still the better team, but there's also like there's with all sports, it's no different with football. There's some je ne sais quoi to it, right? There's yeah. just some some things you can't really quantify and yeah. put measurements around, and, and it just happens. And whether you want to call that mental or, or whatever, it, it's real. And so it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. I do think it's beneficial that it worked out this way because mm-hmm. – I do think it removes a little bit of the pressure from Georgia. I think there was more pressure than anybody realized or really verbalized going into the one twelve four, And we talked about this a little bit on our show leading up to that game. I think in some ways that team tried to win for a decade of Georgia teams. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And, and that's too much. That's yeah. not their responsibility. 
their responsibility is to win for this team. That's the only burden they have to bear. Right. And that's what I would communicate if, if anybody cared what I thought, which they don't. Is <laughs> just, boys, this is your team. This is your story. And you're the only ones that get to tell it. Whatever happened in other years, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I hope they just go out and play like they've played all year because they really have been such a joy to watch. And if you can't like and get behind this team very much like y'all's team in 17, mm. then you're never going to like or get behind a football team. I mean, just two really fun groups of kids to root for. So that's my hope, man. I mean, look, I, I want them to win because I'm a dogs fan, right? I love, I love UJ. I love the university, but I really do hope for these kids. They go out and do it. Cause I think they deserve it. I think they're a great group and I think it would be a fitting end for, for them and for this year. So yeah, I, it, I'm excited. That's my main emotion about it. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm trying to live in. If I had to pin you down on a score, what kind of score are you going to give me? If I had to give a score, like I said, I do think UJ is a better team. So my score, I think, would be 31 and 17. I think we have a ton of weapons on the outside. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not texting any coaches on the side, but by chance, if they hear this, I don't think Bama's secondary is that good. So I think we should go at their secondary specifically. Yeah outside i mean they've had some injuries and i'm still not even a firm believer in their you know their number one guys so i think we should go after them on the outside but still have a balanced attack um so i'm i'm going with the score of 31 to 17 go dogs i love it i love it Aaron. well look man always a pleasure it's always great to see you. always great to talk to you. you always give the best insight we always love hearing your unique perspective on things so thank you for hanging out with us And good luck with what we know is going to be an exciting year for you, brother. Yep. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Thanks again for having me. All right, man. Go dogs. Go dogs. Well, as always, Aaron gives just, I feel like the best insight into what it's like to be part of the Georgia football team and to give us, I think, a direct look at where things are sitting this week. What did you take away from the chat with him? The main thing is, is that, as a player for them, it's just another game, especially for like when they played in 17, it's something you've done a hundred times, 200 times, 300 times when the lights go on, it's still just football. It's something you love to do. It's something you're passionate to do and just go out and do it. That's the perspective. It's something that as fans, we think, okay, there's a mental aspect to it and something you'll hear about later on as outsiders in media, they think that too, but as players, it's still just a game. It's still something you've done since you were a little kid in the backyard thousand times when the lights come on, it's still just football. And that's hearing that from someone who's been there and done that. I thought that was a very interesting perspective because as fans, we don't think that we have our own opinions about what really goes on in between the ears. And so, so I thought that was a very interesting perspective on it. And I mean, Aaron's just awesome. So really appreciate his time as always. Yeah. Big thank you to Aaron for making time to come on and, and talk with us. I just feel like he always gives the most thoughtful answers and, and from such a unique perspective, because obviously he was part of the program and had some, I would say very one of a kind experiences as a player, especially during that 17 season. 
but also now he's transitioned. He is watching the program like we are. He, you know, he he is a, a fan and he wants him to win and be successful. And but I do think what he said w- was keen is that you know he's able to look at it and kind of take his Georgia hat off and say, "Hey, this is what I think will happen or won't happen." And and I just love his confidence. I mean, he feels good about the dogs. I think he felt like they didn't play to their standard, like we like most of us do. Uh, in the SEC title game, and he expects them to come out and and be balls to the wall on Monday night. So, yeah, we always love talking to Aaron. He's one of our favorites and and just one of the all-time DGDs, man. I mean, he's just such a good dude. So, always love talking to him, and he's got he's got a big date coming up, getting married in April. So, good luck to him and his, his future missus. So, that's awesome. Well, now we want to let you guys hear from Ty Fricks and Aaron Murray. They were gracious enough to come on with us and tell us about their new project, with other former teammates like Keith Marshall, Ty's brother Trent, called the Players Lounge. It is uh, they have started something called the DGD Mafia, where they are putting NFTs out there, which are all digitally unique dogs, and you have an opportunity to buy them on Sunday, January 9th. I believe they go on sale at noon. The pre-sale happened today at noon. We're taping on Friday. Pre-sale happened today at noon. Your favorite co-host purchased one, and it is awesome. And I've heard that there are also going to be some that have like player signatures on them and stuff. So really cool thing. And it's, and they talk about it and can tell you more eloquently than I can, but they kind of said to look at it like a ticket that's going to give you access to experiences that as part of the dog's community are just going to be kind of one of a kind thing. So it's a really, really cool concept. I love what they're doing. I love what they're building. I can't wait for you guys to hear about this. So without further ado, here's our interview with Ty Fricks and Aaron Murray of the Players Lounge. We are fired up today to be joined by two DGDs, Ty Fricks and Aaron Murray, who gave us tons of great memories during their playing days between the hedges and are now spearheading a movement as two of the founders of the Players Lounge to utilize the new NIL legislation to help current and former players uh, through the NFT space. Boys, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us today. So my first question is, just for a small-town Huckleberry like me and and for those that are listening, can y'all tell us a little bit about just, I guess, the basis of the Players Lounge and and what an NFT is? Yeah, so so an NFT, and, and Ty can go into more details because he's the, uh, the brains behind the operation, uh, but <laughs> NFT is a non-fungible token. And for us, this, for a lot of people look at it as almost digital artwork. It's a, essentially, it's a token. So when you go buy one of our DGD tokens or NFTs, as, as we like to refer them to, you're doing a couple of things. One, you're helping the, the current student athletes. So we've partnered with 11 of the current football players right now. You know, to name a few, Stetson Bennett, Brock Bowers, Zamir, uh, Nakobe, Chris Smith, Ringo, McConkie, Kamarda. Um, so we, hey, we feel like don't, we a, don't forget the long Kane Walker. Don't yeah, forget Kane the long Walker. Snapper. Can't forget the long snapper. <laughs> Fitzpatrick. So I I may have left one or two out there, but we got some really good partners with current players on the team. So when you do go and buy one of our DGD um, NFTs you are supporting them in their NIL efforts. So they, they're really excited about the project. 50% of everything we make will go back to them. So we feel like we're making a huge statement to the country because you can't go anywhere, <clears throat> excuse me, right now without seeing NIL headlines. I mean, they are everywhere. I saw yesterday some school offered Caleb Williams a million dollars, not the school, but a, a donor, a million dollars to come play for his school. So this is the world we live in. 
Uh, we obviously want Georgia to make sure they have every advantage possible when it comes to keeping players on the roster and getting top talent in the future. So I think this is a great incentive for these guys to, to be a part of our plans. And then, like I said, really increase their NIL opportunities. And then second, we want to bridge the gap between current and former players. So when you own one of these tokens, uh, it is like your pass to a stadium. You will get access to uh, tailgate events that we will have signings, sign mer- uh, merchandise, uh, interactions on our Discord channel, which is like a, a message board for those who don't know what Discord is. We have current and form- or, excuse me, former players on our Discord right now, chatting with fans, talking about the game, having a good time. Uh, so just a lot of events that this, this token, this NFT gets you access to, along with, like I said, supporting our current, current student-athletes. So one of the things I think y'all have done a magnificent job of thus far is the marketing side of things. I think the community in general is really excited about this and y'all have done a good job of building this community into the pre-sale that launches tomorrow. We're taping now on Thursday and y'all's pre-sale is on Friday, January 7th with the full launch coming on Sunday, January 9th. Could y'all just talk a little bit about what those opportunities are uh, for folks that want to purchase, be a part of the DGD Mafia and purchase DGD NFTs? Yeah. So like Aaron said, uh, the one thing we want to be really clear is people hear NFT and they think artwork. We have great artwork. Buying an NFT is not about artwork. For projects that that we believe in, and, and obviously we believe in this one, the value is not the artwork. The value, and the artwork's really cool, but the value is the access token that goes with the artwork, right? So it's like buying a ticket to the game on Saturday, right? When you buy that ticket to the game on Saturday, it gets you into the game, right? And our design guys over here have done a great job with those tickets to make them look really cool. But like, it doesn't really matter what the ticket looks like. Every ticket gets you in the door. So that's when you think about an NFT and, and when you think about joining our community, yeah, you buy some really cool artwork, but it's really the token behind the artwork. It's your ticket, your access into our community. That's what you're really getting. Um, and, you know, uh, we have a huge, huge community uh, of, of fans, right? You know, there's millions. Um, and we want to build a community for, for the people that are want to be here, want to come back, want to go to tailgates, you know, want to interact with current players. And so we're sort of reaching out to you know, the people that have supported us for so long, that have shown up when it's 100 degrees and tailgated all day, you know, sat through all the, the you know, rain. You know, we played uh, Arizona State in Athens in 2009, and it it's the most rain I've ever seen in a game. And, and fans sat through all of that, right? And so what we want to do with the players' lounges, we want to figure out a way to give back to those fans. And I think there's a couple of ways to do that. But one, you, you build a community to empower relationships. And so what we've, what we've learned uh, as we've left football is that this world isn't about what you know, it's about who you know. And a lot of the, the success that Aaron and I have had over the last few years has been been because of relationships that we built while we were playing here, right? And so we want to give the fans the same opportunity. We want to build a a community where we can empower these relationships because, you know, like a rising tide raises all boats, right? If we can create more connection between our community, there's no telling what will come out of it. But we've got to build a community that, that is for a specific group. And so in order to join, you have to have one of these NFTs, one of these access tokens. And so on Friday, this pre sale 
we're having that. There's only 500 that are going to be released during the pre-sale. And that is for a very specific group that came on super early to support our project. And we want to reward them by making sure they have first dibs, basically, at the chance to buy one of these. And then we're having the public sell on Sunday. We're only going to release 5,000 of these total. Uh, so, you know, there's millions of fans out there. We're only releasing 5,000 Generation Zero DGDs because we want this to be a close-knit community. And so if you want to be a part of it, there's two ways. So you, you can jump in on Sunday and, and buy one and, and get access, or you can buy one on the secondary market in the coming you know, days, weeks, and months. If you, if you decide, you know, right now I'm not as familiar, I'll just wait. Uh, people that do get in in the next few days will have the ability to turn around and, and sell those. Uh, down the road to people that want to join it at that point in time. What was the genesis story for this? What motivated y'all to pursue this? And when did the light bulb go off that this was the best way to accomplish y'all's goals? So I became a letterman 10 years ago, right? In 2012. And um, I grew up, my dad was a letterman. My dad won a national championship here. Um, And so I grew up going to the letterman's club, right? And I took that for granted. And it was like the coolest part of Saturday. You go, you hang out with all these other lettermen and their kids. You play flag football right next to the stadium. It's just an amazing experience. And then I graduate, and I don't see any of my buddies coming back to things. And I can't figure out why. And then as the years go on, I realize that none of these current players that graduate are coming back and, and joining these lettermen experiences. And our lettermen's club has done a fantastic job, and they've helped us out hugely. But – there's a divide, right, between the current players and the former players. And we've been trying to bridge that gap for years. So we started the Young Letterman Tailgate in 2015 that was supported by the Letterman's Club to try to give, give guys a place to come back and fellowship before games. But still, we didn't do the best job. And the other thing, we haven't done a great job connecting with our fans since we, we got done playing. And, and a lot of guys like me didn't do a great job connecting with fans when we were here. And so the farther we get out, the more we realize that, one, the fan support is undying and unyielding, and we owe them a lot. And two, we need to do a better job of connecting former and current players. And when I learned about this Web3 opportunity and NFTs and the ability for an NFT to act as a gate into a community, it's the perfect technology to bring all of these people together under one roof to rally behind one cause, which is empowering relationships within a community that we all know and love. What's the response been from your former teammates, guys that are former players that y'all didn't play with, the current players? Um, I know the response from the fan base in general has been a lot of excitement and think this is a cool opportunity, but I'm interested to hear kind of how it's been in y'all's peer group and with the guys that came before and after y'all as players. Yeah, it's been awesome, man. We have have guys, obviously our core team, uh, Ty, Trent, Myself, Keith Marshall, the former players, and we have some great guys working the coding and graphics and all that great artwork also. So we have a really good core team at the moment. But as soon as we started posting some of our stuff and, and our messaging, we've had you know guys like Tavares King, Noshad Moreno, Ben Jones. Uh, you know, I had a great call with Champ the other day, and he's jumping on an actual Twitter spaces. I know this probably won't be published in time for that, but on Thursday night, Champ, uh, Todd Gurley, so we got a bunch of former guys that are like, man, this is awesome. We love what you guys are doing. We love the fact that you're supporting current players. Uh, and we've even had current players who aren't in the core 11 that we signed this year saying, hey, man, how can we get involved? And our goal eventually, um, as we get this thing going to make it bigger, is we want to support every single player on the roster. Uh, it just, you know, with, with things happening so fast this first go around, we really just hit the top 11 guys 
that we felt could really get this 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 message out to the fan base. So, uh, like I said, the goal is to get everyone involved, but the, the the overall response right now has been just absolutely incredible. I mean, you hit on it. The fans have have been really really receptive of this. Our Discord right now, uh, Drew Butler and myself, who Drew Drew is also helping out and, and loves the idea. Uh, Drew is has been in this this Discord with us. And man, we've been talking with all these fans, having a blast, talking smack, talking about the game, interacting with one, one each other. And it's fun. I love it, man. This is something that I never thought I would do because I've never knew that this was available. And it just like 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 Ty hit on before, the the connection that we're making and and the experiences that we're creating have been an absolute blast. And I think fans, current and former players are really seeing that. And, and a lot of them are jumping on board, which is, which is making this even more exciting to continue to work with, with some of our really close friends. Speaking of that community and the opportunity to interact with fans, both of y'all, Ty and Aaron, you both kind of straddled the era where social media was heavily involved in the collegiate athletes experience. I mean, I know the platforms were there when y'all were in school, but certainly not as um, abundant. And I, I think as, have proliferated as much as they have now. Uh, do you see that as something that would have been cool to be a part of when y'all were playing or do y'all go, man, I don't know how the guys today are doing it where they're having to deal with all this outside noise from the social networks and all these type things. Well, I love what Setson's doing. I, I, I would have hoped that I would uh, have a flip phone to, to help me with the distractions of not being on social media all the time. Because, you know, as we all know, anyone that has Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or Whatever else is out there nowadays, I mean, you can you can get going down a rabbit hole and, and looking at videos and pictures, and all of a sudden you look up and an hour of your day is wasted. So uh, I've done it. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening have done that. So it is a distraction. It can be used in a very powerful way, and and obviously we I feel like we're doing that with our Discord. I think we're doing a great job with our messaging of teaching the community what an NFT is. Uh, so I, I love that aspect of it. Um, and I just think you have to be smart with it. Obviously, for, for kids nowadays, there's a lot of good out there and there's also a lot of bad. And if you read too much, you can think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And if you read too much, you may think that you, you shouldn't even be on the football field. So I think you have to be careful if you're a current athlete of uh, being on social media too much. Like I said, that's why if I was in this era, I would hope I would be like Stetson, just have a foot phone and, and just not even think about it during the season. But also, there's the thing of, you know, it is a powerful tool. Like if you can find a way to get your message out there, you can do so much good, man, within the community. And, and that's the message I kind of tell a lot of kids is, you know, Athens gives us so much love that you should find ways to, to, to get involved and give back and get with the community some more. And I think these kids are doing a good job of that. So y'all have both hinted at it. Obviously, a monster game coming on Monday night. Dogs and, and Tide rematch again uh, in Indy. Where are y'all's guts at on this, and how do you think things are going to turn out Monday night? So, I um, obviously, Georgia has an elite defense. We all know that, uh, right? Um, and, but, obviously, Alabama's got one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen. So, I think you're going to have to score 30 points to win this game. I, I think even, you know, even – Playing a perfect game, I think with the talent that Alabama has receiver and quarterback, that big plays are just – they're going to happen. I think Georgia's defense can contain them. I, I think they're going to do a great job there. But uh, I really do. I think Georgia scores 30 points and wins the game. I think Stetson continues his elite play as a quarterback. I, I don't get the whole Stetson Bennett doubt. Um, 
I think he has shown over and over and over again that he is the quarterback. Um, he's the quarterback that I'd want. And uh, I think he's going to play to that ability this weekend. I think you're going to see the dogs score 30 points, and I think they're going to win the game. Yeah, I hope they don't have to score 30 points. I'm a little nervous if, if the game does get into the 30s. Uh, I, I don't think we're built for that, that kind of ball game against a team like Alabama. I do think our defense is going to make a lot of corrections and, and, and hopefully eliminate some of the explosive plays we saw in Atlanta, find a way to slow down Jamison a little bit. So I'm anticipating more of a defensive struggle in this game. You know, always, in my opinion, give the defense a little bit of an advantage in the second go around, especially with how close the, the last game was. So I'm anticipating like a 27, 24, 27, 21 game. Uh, go dogs, dogs on top. Well, either one of those results would make everybody really, really happy and make for quite the start to uh, 2022. So, so I love the optimism on that. Before I let you guys go, tell all of our listeners how they can support the Players Lounge, where they can find you, website, all the social media channels, how they can become part of the Discord community. Uh, tell them everything they need to know. Yeah, so just go follow us. It, uh, our, our website is theplayerslounge.io. And then all of our social medias on Instagram and Twitter is The Players Lounge, just TH Players Lounge. Uh, you can also find it on any of our social media. So if you go to mine, Aaron Marie 11, uh, you will find it there. Uh, just click on it. Easy instructions, man. We made it really simple for everyone to buy one of these NFTs. All you need is an email address and a credit card. You don't have to go get Bitcoin, you don't have to go get Ethereum. Credit card, email address, that's it. Digital wallet will be created for you. Um, and, and we just try to make this as easy as possible for all newcomers to the digital NFT world. So uh, that's where you can find us. We got a lot of great content. We got a lot of great education out there too for fans that want to know a little bit more. And then join our Discord. Our, our Discord link will be on all of our social medias. You come in there, you get to chop it up with myself, Ty, Trent, Keith, uh, Drew Butler, Noshan, TK. We're going to get a lot more, uh, excuse me, former players too. And we'll see if we get some current players to jump on the Discord too after the season's done. But get to talk about the game and get ready to go all season long. So um, all off season and all next season. So it's a lot of fun. You can ask questions there as well about the NFT space. All right. And we will make sure and link all those things in our show notes. So if you're listening to the show, just hop in the show notes. You can access all those links. Um, be sure and support the Players Lounge. Uh, Ty and Aaron, thank y'all so much for being so gracious with your time today, coming on and, and telling y'all's story. Good luck with everything and do not hesitate to let us know if we, we can help in any way. And uh, go dogs. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. We really appreciate the support. You know, we're, we're, we're building this for all of our community, right? For everybody that's listening. Um, and, and so we hope that they see the same value we do. And yeah, thanks again, Seth. We really appreciate your help. Thank you, sir. Go dogs. Go dogs. All right, brother. After hearing that, you feel like you got your feet wet about NFTs and feel good about jumping into that space or are you, are you confused at all? I mean, I feel awesome after that. I feel so much smarter after hearing that. I feel like I can actually talk with like the millennials and stuff now. <laughs> well, I had absolutely no idea what any of it was before listening to that. Like I tried to read up on it and talk to you about it and I was just lost, but now I actually understand. And I think it's an awesome concept. Like I thought it was an awesome concept before, but the fact of, helping out current players and basically building the community is what I like about it. Bridging the gap between fans and former players and hopefully current players in the future is just awesome. And the fact it's also limited is also cool too. It's not going to be available to a million fans. 
limited to 5,000 fans, which is really cool. So if you get to be, it's almost like an exclusive club type thing, which is just awesome. So if you get are lucky enough to get one of those 5,000 tickets and are able to, you know, chat with the former players, that's just an awesome thing. Cause I mean, what fan doesn't want that access and to be able to talk to former players, current players about what's going on. I mean, just kind of almost like you're having a drink at a bar with a former player and talk about the dogs. How cool is that? I mean, I can feel like I'm fanboying here, but that's my take on it. Uh, the coolest part for me about the interview was, was them both expressing how much they owe to the Georgia community and how much affection they have for that community and that this is an opportunity for them individually, not only to give back, but also to create a community where current and former players can give back and be a part of that community. And I mean, I just, I just think it's a really, really cool thing what they're doing. I also think they are doing it in a very smart way. They are really smart about their messaging. They keep things simple and digestible uh, within a framework and a concept that for most people seems confusing. So I think from an educational perspective, that's fantastic. And they're also presenting it in a package where it's fun. It's something you want to be a part of. It's something you want to get involved with. So we've got all the information. If you want to be a part of that community in our show notes, it is the playerslounge.io is their website. And we will link all their socials as well. Hop in their discord. They're very active in the discord. It's really cool. I mean, it's a constant conversation there. So great community that they're building at the Players Lounge and through the DGD Mafia. So once again, thank you to Ty and Aaron for coming on and, and spending time with us and telling us about that. And to close out today, we're going to have uh, Chris Felica from ESPN's College Game Day, the Bear, give his thoughts on Monday night's game. We had Chris on back before the SEC title game. Loved spending time with him. Thought he was a fantastic guest. Had a really good picking week. What did he go that week? Seven and three. He was one away from, from Ty and Arthur. Yep, seven and three. Yeah, had a great week. So he gives some really keen insight on Monday night's matchup. We're so fired up that he came back on to hang with us. And as we told him, he's got a permanent invitation to come hang on the show. So without further ado, here is ESPN College Game Day's Chris Felica. We are fired up to be joined by ESPN College Game Day's Chris Felica again. Chris was on with us about, I guess, almost exactly a month ago, Chris. So it seems like a lot has happened since then uh, in the college football landscape. I want to start with you today by asking, prior to this SEC title game, did you envision in any way that game going like it did? No, I don't think anybody did envision the game going the, the way it did. I, I think people... Once we're like, oh, this might get out of hand the other way. And then obviously right. the, the, the big play that Jameson Williams kind of re- reversed fortunes in that game. And then uh, so much was talked about with, with, with Stetson Bennett. And, and I think all the things can be true about that game uh, in Atlanta. Number one, that Alabama won because they had better quarterback. Number two, Bray, uh, Stetson Bennett wasn't the reason Georgia lost the game. But number three, once Georgia fell behind multiple scores, he was probably the reason why they weren't equipped to come back from that from that deficit. So it was it was one of those games where I mean we've all as college football fans who have been around the sport for for a long time, every everything emotionally was in Alabama's favor that day. 
Uh, they needed the game to get into the college football playoff. They had to win, whereas Georgia was already in. And I'm not saying that Georgia didn't take the game seriously uh, because they're already in, because it's an SEC championship and an opportunity to to slay the dragon and, and get them out of the college football playoff. But uh, I, I think the um, the level of importance for that game for Alabama certainly had an impact on the final score. Well, you certainly had some foresight on it. I mean, you picked you picked Bama when you came on our show with the number the way it was that day. We didn't put the screws to you to, to say who you thought was going to win straight <laughs> up, but I mean, you, you had an idea that maybe the number was a little mm-hmm. bigger than it should have been given the history and given the behemoth that Alabama has been for almost two decades. We had talked about this, that there is a mental component to this, that nobody will ever, at least the players and coaches will never acknowledge, but you can't look at how it's gone and say that that's not a thing, that they don't make it bigger than it needs to be. I thought in a lot of ways, they kind of, they looked heavy because I thought they looked slower than they looked all year. And obviously some of that has to do with, with Alabama scheming, but I just thought they looked a step behind and I, you can't convince me that some of that wasn't the mental piece of them trying to win seven games in one night. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, in, in 20, Kirk and I even were on our call the other day uh, about the game. Like we even said the same thing, like the, just like the, the, the speed and intensity that you saw from, from Georgia against Michigan was at a different level that mm-hmm. you saw in the SEC championship game. And you talked about emotion taking, I mean, it, it was clear. I mean, Alabama used uh, the, the, the underdog role as a motivational tool going into that SEC championship game. And, and I think in a, in a weird sense, it might've helped Georgia some, uh, the fact that they did lose that game and you, you were that you were the hunted and you got lost and you were able to kind of focus and re-energize and give you a little bit of a boost. Hey, you're a great team, but at the same time, you're not invincible. And, and I think that really helped sharpen them for uh, their best performance of the year, at least from what I saw uh, of Georgia this year in that, in that orange bowl and, in blowing out Michigan. And I think that's probably what we'll see a performance close in in an effort and an energy at an intensity like that. Uh, I think we'll see something closer to that on Monday night. You brought up that there are two dynamics at play. One that Alabama had the better quarterback, which nobody debates that, but also, but also two that conversely Stetson Bennett is not the reason that Georgia lost the football game. And I think over the last month, that's been a narrative that's been spun amongst the Georgia fan base and, and media in Athens. And, you know, I get it. Quarterbacks equal page views. But the moral of the story here, Chris, is what was this team having championship aspirations built upon? It was the historic, ferocious, furious mm-hmm. defense. And so if that unit comes out and gives up 34 points, they're not going to win. No. <laughs> and so. I, I just think that's kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. And I think we talked a little bit about it um, in the preview episode for the SEC title. What was interesting to me going into that game was how they would play if they had got behind. Because they're not built this way. They're not built as they're currently constructed to play from behind and play from multiple scores behind. So how important do you think it is come Monday night for them to get out to another lead like they did in the SEC title game? But keep it sustainable so they can run the offensive game plan that they feel most comfortable in. I think the lead is, I think getting the lead was important, but I I think the more, because then if you do fall behind, it's the, Oh no, here we go again. 
mentality. I'm sure the fans will certainly have uh, that mentality. But I think the more important thing will be doing what, what you said about, about defense. will be playing more complementary type football like they had for the majority of the year. You're relying on the defense to win games in controlling the clock, put, put, giving uh, Stetson, Stetson some more uh, completable high percentage passes uh, using McIntosh and Cook in the passing game uh, like, like they did on Saturday night. Um, and, and it was curious because I, I think as well, what we saw from Georgia in the SEC championship team, we, we saw throughout the year a lot of pre-step movement and motion really give Alabama some problems, and there wasn't a ton of that in the SEC yeah. championship game at all. So, again, it, it almost makes you wonder in, in a sense that it was like, hey, if we do lose this game, we don't want to tip our hand and, and reveal something because we know there's a chance we may play them again kind of deal. So, so maybe we'll see some of that Monday night. But I was a little surprised in Atlanta that we didn't see a whole a, a whole lot more of that because that's something I think with Alabama with the some of the youth that they, that they have on the defensive side of the ball, uh, especially in that back end, that gave them problems throughout the year. So I think that will be uh, one of the keys to look for on on Monday night as well. How big of an impact do you think it will have on Georgia's defensive game plan this time around that they're not going to have to contend with John Mechie? Just think it presents such a different dynamic to have to focus more energy now on Jamison Williams instead of having to have a two-headed monster coming at you. It's a huge impact, and I think that is one of the bigger questions of the game for me. I, I think you saw against Georgia in the SEC championship game, it was 10 yards of drop back, seven 20-yard completions, uh, like, like a 7% off-target rate. And then you look at the semifinal against Cincinnati without Mechie in there, it was less than six yards of drop back, two 20-yard completions, and like 16% off target. So it, it leads you to wonder, A, is that because of Mechie? B, is that just because of the game plan um, uh, for the game, knowing that they could just run up and down the field in Cincinnati? Or, or, or C, is it? a legitimate concern where they were able to Cincinnati was basically able to say, Hey, we're not going to let Jamison Williams beat us. If, if, if Jacobs or, or Bolden beat us, so be it. But it, I, I think what you saw was it really limited uh, what Alabama was able to do with Jamison Williams in terms of getting him down the field. Uh, he didn't have very many, free runs at all. A lot of his uh, looks and routes and catches were very short. I think he averaged like eight yards catch. So uh, if you if you can look behind door A, B, or C and tell me what, what, what the deal was, it'll probably go a long way in determining the winner on Monday night. I, I, I tend to think it was a combo of B and C. I, I, think, I think it was the fact that Cincinnati's defensive backs did a pretty good job, but I also do think it was a lot to do with game. I, I don't think Alabama had much respect at all for their front. They, I think they kind of knew they could get yardage whatever they wanted it. So uh, we, we'll be curious now to see on Monday that they won't be able to get yardage on the ground whatever they want it. Uh, what happens uh, on, on the back end if they can have a uh, if they can get back to what they did in the SEC title, because I don't think it'll be as easy as it was the first time around. Yeah, because what we've got six quarters of football now where Alabama's been down one of their studs 
on the offensive boundary, whether it be the second half of the Auburn game, not having Jamison Williams because of the targeting call, and now the full Cincinnati game with no John Mechie. And look, even a casual fan would tell you those offenses look different from what we all saw sure. during that that 15-minute blitzkrieg <laughs> in the second quarter. But I do think there's some merit to that offensive line is playing better. I think they started that momentum in the SEC title mm-hmm. game. They seem more comfortable. Uh, Brian Robinson's fully healthy, although I am a little skeptical that even with a fully br- healthy Brian Robinson, anybody's going to run the football on that Georgia front. Um, what was compelling to me is, is there anybody better in the business than Nick Saban, his coaching staff, at developing the game plan that wins the week they are playing, right? Correct. So the game plan they had in Atlanta, totally opposite of the game plan they came out and imposed against Cincinnati last weekend. And that's why if you're a fan of any team, Georgia, whoever, if you're not nervous about what you're going to see Monday night, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you have, oh, I mean, they're going to be ready. Right. And, and, that, and that's the, the great thing. And, and you can have whatever opinion you, know, if you, you can be the biggest Alabama hater in the world, but if you don't at least respect Nick Saban and the job he has done there, uh, you're you're a bit you're you're fooling yourself when you're just flat out lying. Because uh, lo- look at his background; he was a defensive guy, traditional defense, defense, defense. And he at some point he realized, you know what, we got to do something offensively to kind of catch up to what everybody else is doing. And he went out and hired Lane Kiffin. He opened himself up to a to to a, to a kind of a, a, a high tempo. A passing type spread type offense, which goes against everything he believes in. And, and it's made the program and his team even more dominant and, and impressive than they had been in years past. So it's his ability to evolve with the times and understand what's best going to help him win games and his team win games. Uh, that, that, that's the biggest positive attribute i other than the the other big impressive thing i love about is that they just don't lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to like that the winning like whatever the winning streak is now against unranked teams is incredible it's like six times as long as the next closest team so uh, adapting to to the circumstances and beating the teams you're supposed to beat it's pretty pretty damn good combo as a college football fan, what is the matchup on Monday night that you are looking most forward to watching and that you think is most compelling for that ball game? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at what happens when Georgia puts that three-headed monster of Bowers, Washington, and Pickens on the field at the same time. How Alabama's safeties and linebackers can kind of adjust uh, to that package, especially knowing that you might got Cook coming out of the backfield. You might have McIntosh coming out of the backfield. That, that matchup on, on on how Georgia is, is able to have success and find matchups there, which they've had a pretty darn good uh, job doing, especially with Bowers over the last latter half of the year. Uh, that, that I'm looking forward to that. I think more because if they have success doing that, I'll I will run to the the live betting window and uh, put a significant amount of money. On, uh, on Georgia because if they, if, they, if they can't stop that, that's a, uh, that's a big, big, big problem for Alabama. Speaking of the betting window, the dogs are a three-point favorite currently. Two-part question for you here. One, were you surprised when the initial line was released that Georgia was favored? And two, who do you like uh, with the number this week? No, I, I wasn't surprised. And I think this number at three is probably going to 
remain there because you don't want to go to two and a half because then everybody's going to bet Georgia. And you don't want to go to three and a half because then in addition to the money line liability, you already have on Alabama because in these big national title games and Super Bowls, everybody likes just to bet the underdog on the money line to call the upset. So you don't want to give give a field goal to these people as well. So I think this is going to kind of shape down as the uh, kind of the public is going to take Alabama on the money line and, and the smarter betters or the, the sharps, if you want to say, or the people who believed in Georgia all year are going to lay the three. And you might even get a reduced price on the money line as well, but, but I'm on Georgia here. I do think they, they win in cover on, on Monday night. I, I think what happened in Atlanta will be one of the bigger motivational, the bigger influences on their performance on Monday night. Uh, I, I don't think there is this psychological hurdle where they go out there and they're like playing scared. I think the fans have done it because the fans have seen it four times under Kirby and going back to the 2012 game as well. Like, like, like the fan is in the fans' mind, but I, I don't think these players feel it. I, I think after that game, just the leadership on the team, guys like Kobe Dean, uh, I, I think they get it. And, and I think they, I think they see the opportunity at hand here. Uh, and, and I think they're the better team. And I, I think Alabama will have some trouble offensively uh, w- w- without matching the lineup. I, I think that really, really affected their depth, and it makes uh, Jamison Williams certainly a little less effective. So I am going to say something along the lines of uh, Georgia 31, Alabama 21. How about that? I tell you what, there'd be a lot of people in the Peach State that would be thrilled with that result. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of that, there will be droves of Georgia fans uh, in Indianapolis for the weekend and for Monday night. Uh, Tell everybody uh, where they can come see y'all for the final episode of College Game Day for the season and what time y'all are getting kicked off on Monday. Yeah, yeah, our our set's going to be set up, I believe, inside Lucas Oil. So uh, I think you kind of have to have a ticket in order to get in. Um, So that might be a problem. But I know on Sunday... Uh, Stanford Steve and I will be uh, at FanFest. We'll be having a uh, about one o'clock. We'll be having a little uh, Q and A and win some prizes and some trivia and some things like that. So uh, let's swing on by at one o'clock on Sunday and uh, and come say hello. Oh well, the Saturday in Athens boys will definitely come do that. We're getting Absolutely. in town Saturday, so so we'll swing by and see you guys Sunday. So that's going to be at the convention center, right? That's yeah. where the Fan Fest is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, guys, go ahead and do that if you're going to be in town. Uh, this weekend for the big game, make sure and swing by Fan Fest on Saturday. Uh, go see Chris and Stanford Steve. Uh, Bear has quickly become one of our favorites to hang out and talk with. So we're always fired up to have him on the show and love the work that he does on ESPN College Game Day and for college football. So, Chris, thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to chat with us. And uh, safe travels to Indy, and we look forward to seeing you there, man. Thank you. Have a great, have a great weekend and enjoy the game. Well, brother, if you listen to Chris, you got to feel good about what the dogs are going to do on Monday night. He seemed real confident, didn't you think? Yeah, he did seem real confident. He's, everybody seems to think that Georgia is the better team. Yeah, I, I get that too. I, I feel like that's been a common theme that the first weekend in December was more of a blip than something that should have happened. I also think, and it just seems to be the elephant in this whole conversation, pun not intended, but that did work very well. <laughs> the John Met- The John Mechie thing is real. And I think they are a different offense without him. I think they go from multidimensional to somewhat one-dimensional from a weapons perspective. And that's not to say they don't have weapons. They're Alabama. They have great weapons. They have great players. What I mean is they went from having two absolute game breakers to having one. 
And to be able to limit that and to be able to scheme against that, I just think is a big, big card that UGA holds. Um, and I think it'll make things look different. And, and just think how they looked in the second half against Auburn without Jameson Williams when it was just John Mechie. And then think how they looked in the second half against us without John Mechie. And then think how their offensive game plan looked for the four quarters against Cincinnati. I don't know. That makes me feel confident about what we can do from a game plan perspective to come out and really show out on Monday night. I completely agree. I mean, we talked about it after or after the SEC championship, how they looked without Mechie. And I mean, hate it for a kid. You hate any kid to get injured. We said that too. But advantage is there. This game is there for the taking. And as Kirby said at halftime at, at Florida, this is our F in here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that, man. It just feels, I don't know. I just, I feel good about it. The momentum feels good. I feel like their performance on Friday night against Michigan put them in a good place. I think they looked loose, which was another thing I was a little wor- worried about. So I'm excited to get into Lucas Oil Stadium Monday night and hopefully party for four quarters and, and root on the dogs. You know, the other thing, speaking of the Mechie injury, is that from our side of things, we are probably as healthy as we've been all year from a roster perspective. I mean, outside of the guys who are out for the year, everybody else looks like they're green light full go. So depth wise, you got to love that. And what Chess Chambliss is out for the first half because of the targeting call, but he's the only one, right? Everybody else is green light. Yep. I feel great about that. What do you, you got any closing thoughts here before we get out of here? Oh, dogs. Dogs on top. Let's finish this. Shut out the noise. Shut up all the other fan bases. Let's get rid of this 1980 BS. And let's go win us a national championship. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I just want them to go out and play fast and free. I want the fan base to be fast and free. I want the players to be fast and free. I just want everybody to live in the moment, be where your feet are, and just take it to them. Be who you are. Be who you have been all year long and play in the joy and you know the togetherness that they have played in all year. And, dude, same for the fan base. For anybody going to Indy, let's all go there and be a community and have a blast together and live it up. And for anybody watching at home, be a community on Twitter. Be a community on Instagram, man. Everybody, like, embrace this. This is awesome. National title game dogs are playing it. Live it up, baby. So, yeah, brother. Until uh, post-game Monday night, because I think we're going to have to do a recap, like, immediately afterwards. Raw and unfiltered, and probably not sober. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. But until then, as we always close out, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.